Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Hey, it's good to see you all here today. My name is Tom, if I haven't met you. And it's my privilege to bring the fourth message today of our Advent series. We've been going through a series this Advent called The Holy Spirit of Christmas. And we've been exploring the role of the Holy Spirit in the early stories of the Gospel of Luke, which tells a lot of our sort of pre-Jesus birth stories, and even uh, the main Christmas story we think of is, is often from Luke, and then, of course, from Matthew as well. So we've been exploring that, kind of connected to a larger series we've been doing through the book of Acts, which is the first history that we have in the New Testament of the early church, and the Holy Spirit plays a big role in that story. And so for Christmas, or for Advent, we pull back to the first volume that Luke wrote. He wrote the book of Acts, but he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so we pulled back to that first volume. We've been seeing how the Holy Spirit was also involved in the coming of Jesus and what connection that might have to us as we consider Christmas. So that's what we've been exploring uh, so far. And here we are uh, on the fourth Sunday of Advent and we're talking about peace, how the Holy Spirit prepares a path for peace. Now, peace, I know, can be a bit of a cliche. You know, ask a fifth grader or a beauty pageant queen. <laughs> what they want the most, and what's the answer? World peace, yeah. Global peace, world peace. And I know that can feel like a cliche, but do you know why cliches are often cliches? Because they actually have within it truth. That's often how cliches become cliches, is they actually have some truth in it, because when we step back, when we sort of strip everything down, other than all we want for Christmas is you, we also want, come on, didn't you get that? that, Should we sing it together? No, we shouldn't. No, Mariah. Okay. All we want for Christmas is, if we strip it all down, really what we're talking about is we want peace. We want peace in the world, certainly, but we want peace in here, in our own lives. We want peace in our family. We want peace in our bodies. We want peace in our minds. We want peace in our soul. We want peace for warring nations, yes, but we also want peace for warring families. We want peace for fleeing refugees. We want peace for floundering addicts. We want peace for moms, for dads, for singles. We want peace for the forgotten. Peace for the lonely. We want peace for struggling marriages. We want peace for shattered hearts. That's what we want, peace. And not just the kind of peace that comes after the fighting stops, you know, like the silence after a bomb goes off, but rather a peace that's more like a cozy fire, more like a warm bath. More like a table full of food, friends, laughter, that kind of peace. A peace that's more about a wholeness of life than simply the absence of conflict. Now, when we hear the biblical prophets talk about peace, that's what they're talking about. They're not just talking about things finally, you know, finally people aren't shooting at, well, they didn't talk shooting, you know, shooting at, but rather, they're talking about a wholeness that comes. It's, It's far greater than just People have stopped fighting. When we hear the uh, angels announce peace on earth over the skies of Christmas, this is the kind of peace that they're announcing. A healing wholeness 
where everything's right. That's peace. And so when we celebrate the coming of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, we're reaching actually into our collective desire as a people, a God-given longing that there would be peace. Peace in this broken world, that somehow wholeness would be restored and wrongs would be righted, that there would be life that would come to those who are dying in, in, in whatever way they're experiencing death, that there would be a wholeness and a righteousness and a goodness that would come to all. And that's striking that we desire it, because when we really think about it, we know that the cause of so much unrest and violence in the world around us is actually who? Us. G.K. Chesterton, the great writer, probably a hundred years ago now, there was a contest in, uh, I think it was the Times Literary Supplement, something, in, in England. A contest, people had to write an essay on what is wrong with the world. What is wrong with the world? Well, how would you answer that, right? So brilliantly eloquent people, philosophers, and, you know, I'm sure lots of different people had ideas. G.K. Chesterton, who's one of the most pithy, insightful writers of his era, he wrote, Dear Times, what is wrong with the world? I am. Yours sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, nailed it. <laughs> When we consider the unrest, the violence, the hurt that people are experiencing, we realize that, you know, we as human beings, we shatter the peace as much as we might long for it. We end up mucking it up. And we often seem helpless to stop ourselves from doing so. Which says something about us, right? It says something about our need. Our need for help, it says something about our need for divine intervention, it says something about Christmas and why Jesus came. On the night that Jesus was born, of course, angels announced peace on earth, we sing about it, but six months earlier, another shocked father received an announcement of the coming of peace. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit at that time, and this elderly man raised his voice and prophesied that the time of peace had finally come. His name was Zechariah, and he was the oldest new dad in town. He made real waves when he showed up at prenatal classes, you know what I'm saying? Caused quite a stir when he showed up at the new parents' coffee hour at the local synagogue. People were like, you know, oh, is this your great-grandson? And when they saw the look, I mean, grandson? Son? You know, he was old. During our Advent series, we've been exploring how the Holy Spirit was involved in both the announcements to Mary that Jesus was coming, but also announcements to Elizabeth that John was coming. And, and so the coming of Jesus, the coming of John. And we watched the interaction between these two moms, Mary and Elizabeth, and how that helps us understand or experience the role of the Holy Spirit today in, in Christmas. And I encourage you to go back and listen to those series if you haven't. Uh, the last three are posted online. Uh, ericksoncoven.ca, you can catch up with them there if you missed it. Um, I think there's some really good stuff in there. But on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we're now going to hear from one of the dads. From Elizabeth's old man, Zachariah. I don't think he'd mind me calling him that because, man, that's what he was. He was the father of John when he least expected it. And through Zechariah, the Holy Spirit helps us see how he continues to prepare a path for peace even now. And I think this is really important because when we consider Christmas, when we consider what God's about, when we consider the biggest picture, understanding how the Holy Spirit brings peace 
is critical to us walking in that path of peace, but also helping others step into it as well. Well, do you remember how the story goes? Some of you may have been here for the series so far. Some of you, this might be new to you. But Elizabeth and Zechariah, they loved God. They loved each other. They lived faithfully in marriage for many years. But much to their pain and disappointment, they'd never been able to have a child. And I think that only people who've experienced infertility really can understand the depth of sorrow that this represents for them. The aching and the chafing that for some is never fully resolved. And add to that the cultural reality of their time where having children represented not only personal purpose, but also a family future. And this infertility is particularly painful. But really, by this time in their lives, a lot of that had passed. They were now approaching their senior years Zechariah and Elizabeth were both from the priestly tribe of Levi, and Zechariah was a priest, and as it happened, he was chosen by Lot to burn the incense in the temple. It was a special privilege, and while he was in there, he had a visitor. An angel from God showed up and announced that their lifelong prayers had been answered, and surprise, you're going to be a dad. Oh, man, he was not expecting that. And the angel even went on to give a bit of a gender reveal. He told him that it's going to be a son. In fact, this son is not just going to be any old son. When angels show up, they're never any old sons. This son is going to be the one that the prophets of old had said would come. The one who would come to prepare the way of the one who was coming, the Messiah. And that this child of Zechariah and Elizabeth would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he would play a key role in getting people to turn their lives around and be ready for the coming of the Messiah so they can enter into what God was doing through Jesus. Now this is a very, very big deal. And it won't come as a surprise to anyone that Zechariah was a bit skeptical. He's like, have you seen me? Have you seen my wife? This ain't happening. And uh, his doubt earned him Nine months of silence. That was the last thing Zechariah said. The angel said, oh, let's tie that tongue right up until you see it for yourself. Till the day that John was named, Zechariah didn't say a word. Well, let's catch up with the story. It's in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. I'll read this. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a, a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he wanted to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. All right. Then the Holy Spirit tips his hand, fills Zechariah. And the prophecy that comes from him next is what we'll be exploring this morning. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is his words. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. 
As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, I can imagine, I can imagine Zechariah holding John at this point, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Well, just a few short sentences, but tucked within it, the Holy Spirit reveals something powerful to us. The path of peace. Global, personal, relational, spiritual. It's all here. Well, to get that path straight and clear, I'm going to do something a little different today. We're going to start at the end of the, of the prophecy, and we're going to work our way backward, okay? Now, if that seems odd to you, there is a logic to it. Uh, maybe... Maybe you'll walk away thinking, why did he do that? But I think it will make sense as we go through it because we can see how the Holy Spirit prepares this path to wholeness and shalom, to peace on earth as we do so. We're going to do it by asking some of the basic journalistic questions, the what and the why and the who and the when and the how and that kind of thing, to explore this path of peace that the Holy Spirit prepares for us. First, the what. Through Christmas, the Holy Spirit gives us God's goal. This is why we're starting at the very end. To really understand, we start with the end in mind and ask the question, what's the Spirit's goal? What was the Father sending Jesus for? In other words, what is Christmas all about? John comes to prepare the way for Jesus, we hear, so that our feet will be guided into the path of peace. That's the goal. The goal is clear that we would experience the peace of God and all through the prophets and now through Zechariah and then revealed through the life and the teaching of Jesus and through the rest of the New Testament writings, the goal, or you could say the end, the purpose to which all of this is, pointing and experiencing and, and enabling is this shalom or wholeness or restoration or in short, peace. We've already discussed this because we've all been looking for this, but it's often our sin and our foolishness, both personally and as a people, that we're unable to both create or keep this peace without God's intervention. And so, like a good guide on a mountain, pointing, that's where we're going, people. Take a look. This is the vista. The Holy Spirit wants us to look up and see what God is doing. This is why Jesus is coming. And so we inspired the prophets and the apostles to cast this vision of peace, this world of shalom that would be accomplished by Jesus, bought with his blood. The prophets, they used a lot of different images. If you read through Isaiah or Zechariah, other, they're all over the place in the Old Testament. These prophets would, would grab at these different images to capture this peace. They would talk about longevity. They would, they would speak about big banquets with wine flowing. They would talk about this peaceable kingdom where lions and lambs laid down together, where all of creation was now as God had dreamed it would be, full of life and, and vitality and potentiality, beauty, where relationships are truly good with each other. 
where there's never lack, but there's fulfillment and there's satisfaction and there, there's something that's driving us to create and, and continue to explore all that God has given us. Now, the apostles in the New Testament, they use other images, images like marriage or adoption, or acquittal, or redemption. They were all images of this beautiful truth that there was peace on earth, peace between us, peace between us and God, peace between us and the rest of God's creation, and even peace within ourselves. It's all over. That's the goal. It's the purpose to which God is leading us. This is why Jesus was sent. This is why the Holy Spirit of Christmas is constantly pointing Jesus out, that our Prince of Peace has come to restore our violent, wayward creation to bring it back bring us back to all that he had intended that jesus who's both fully human and fully god comes as the rightful lord of creation and the rightful restoring creator and so we start with that vision of peace that's the what second who through christmas the holy spirit shows us who god's peace is for that's what and you back up from the last lines. This is the, this is the second to last lines are about. He says, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. You see, the peace that God brings is both universal in that it applies to everyone, but it's also deeply personal. In other words, it's for everyone in general, but also anyone in particular. It's for everybody, and sometimes when we think of it as something big and grand, we can exclude ourselves, but we can't. It's applied to us. It also applies to others, because there's a tendency within religious groups, religious systems, to gradually exclude a lot of other people. You know what I'm saying? To work their way into a corner where it's only us. We get it. No one else does. But rather, what we hear from the angels, what we see all through the prophets, is this radical inclusiveness as this hope and this love and this peace is given for all. And it's hinted at here that God's goal of peace, His plan is to reconcile not just a limited few things, a few corners here and there, but to restore all of creation, this ridiculously available and extravagantly free grace from God. In particular, It applies to those who thought it was never for them. This is something we see very clear in the life of Christ, right? When he's out there teaching, when he's interacting with people, the thing that always got him in trouble with the religious guys was what? He was hanging out with people that they didn't think were included, but actually the people themselves who were sitting down at dinner with Jesus and going, wow, when they discover I'm here, I'm going to get booted out. What they find out is I'm included too. The people who thought they were outcasts, Jesus welcomes in. The people who were lost and forgotten, without hope, God brings wholeness to them through Christ, the light in their dark. And that sounds a lot like Christmas, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like, like Jesus. And it's key for us to not only remember it, but to celebrate us. Celebrate that Christmas, that the peace that God brings is for all, not just for us, not just for a few, for us too, but for all. Third, Through Christmas, the Holy Spirit reveals God's motivation. His motivation for peace. When we back up again, we find out the answer to the question, why does the Father bother? Like, why? What's what's going on here? Is there an ulterior motive? Is there a tricky reason? And this is important, right? Because we are very wary of free gifts. Are you wary of someone who calls you on a Tuesday afternoon with something free? 
Have you checked your spam folder lately? In email. Every once in a while I dawdle through there to see, just add it up how much money I have waiting for me somewhere. <laughs> There's a lot of free stuff out there, right? Until you read the fine print or you give your banking information, don't. You find out, oh right, this is not quite as free as we thought. There's a catch. There's a shoe that drops right at the moment we thought we've won the prize. And that's why it's so clear that we get clear on the motivation of the Father. So that we know what's behind this. Well, the Holy Spirit inspires Zechariah to make that clear. That the sun comes to earth to shine on us because of one thing. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Last week we explored this in detail when we talked about the fondness of the Father for us. That God so loved the world. God was so fond of the world that He's motivated to send His Son not to condemn the world, but so that we could be saved. He's motivated. Christmas motivation is because God desires us to experience His peace and His wholeness and His healing. That's the motivation that drives God's action. There's no sneaky, ulterior motive behind it. God doesn't need us to complete Him. Be thankful. We don't want a God who needs us to complete Him because, folks, I can't complete Him. We want a God who rather desires us to be part of His life, and that's exactly who He is. He wants us to know His intimate, ultimate love. And so we get that motivation really clear. It's because of the tender mercy of God. When we look at Christmas, when we consider the coming of Christ, He is motivated by His tender mercy for us. But how do we get in on it? The why is important, the who's important, the what's important. And then I think they had to be nailed down first because when we even are sharing with others what is Christmas all about, those are the kind of things that can hitch us up. Uh, they, can, they can make us stumble before we even get to the how business. If we don't trust what the Father is doing, if we're not sure it applies to us, if we're not even sure what we're talking about, it's hard to talk about the how. How do we actually enter this path of peace? But with the why... And the who and the what, in our vision, we can now get to the how. How does it all work? Through Christmas, the Holy Spirit invites us to accept God's peace. You know, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah speaks of this in a beautifully simple way. He's holding John. He's speaking about his John's future role. And he says, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. How is John going to help people discover God's peace? He's going to help people know the God who is saving them as they experience His forgiveness of them. And this is so important because this is right at the very center of this good news story that we tell, the great gospel we call it, which just means good news, the gospel of God. We find out that God, we find out about God's rescue as forgiveness is announced to us. We experience God's rescue as we receive God's forgiveness. This forgiveness is offered freely. We talk about that all the time. It's something that's already been accomplished for us by God. In other words, God doesn't come to us and say, da 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 da. If you ask, I'll forgive you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the Father saying, you are forgiven. Jesus has died. Everything is taken care of. Here you go. Will you take it? Will you receive it? That's how forgiveness is offered to us. 
What we discover through the gospel, through the whole story, is that God's not nearly as upset with you as you may think he is. Some of us walk around thinking, God, if he really knew me, which he does, by the way, but you know, we walk around with this idea that if God really knew us, he wouldn't want anything to do with us. He really knows you, and he's crazy to get to know you more. He really wants you to be part of his life. God's not nearly as upset with you as you might think he is. God is ripped up at the way that sin hurts you. He is. I believe that God's heart aches when he sees us do things that are actually destroying ourselves. That are alienating us from others. That are causing greater division in our families, in our relationships. God aches at that kind of stuff because he loves us. When God sees us making choices in the way that we interact with someone, choices we make in our sex life, choices we make in our thoughts, choices we make in our business that are ultimately sinful, it's not like God says, I want to burn you to the ground, sucker, for sinning. That's not God. What He does is He looks at us and He says, Oh my goodness, if you could only understand, if you could only get even a tiny picture of how sin is causing destruction to your life, to your soul, to your future, to all that I desire for you because I love you. If you could just get a tiny glimmer of that, you would realize why I'm inviting you to turn away from sin and follow me to experience my forgiveness on this path of peace. That's what God does. I was talking to my good friend last night, John. We often talk about sin as friends. You should have a friend that you can talk to sin about. We should all have a friend we can talk to sin about. Okay, um, but God's grace. What we often quote to each other is, you know, God's not nearly as worried about your sin as, as, you know, in the sense of God actually has a solution to that. He wants you to actually experience his grace because he loves you. We often get stuck about, about it. And, and, and what God is inviting us to see here is he is offering us forgiveness so that we can come to know his salvation, know his wholeness, know his peace. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the Christmas story, that you and I are messed up, that you and I can't fix ourselves no matter how hard we try. And we do. But God can because he loves us and he forgives us and he sent Jesus to come and take our place, swap us out, to carry our sin upon himself, our brokenness in his body. So that from the manger to the cross, through the tomb, and into glory, Jesus leads us on the path of peace as we let him shoulder our load and give us his grace. That's the gospel. It's all grace. It's all gift. And it only requires our simple acceptance in trust. We come to know God's salvation, Zechariah tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, through the forgiveness of our sins. And that's actually the only way we can. We can't understand God's salvation, as it were, from the outside. We can't understand it as a, as a cold observer. The only true way to understand God's salvation is experientially. As we receive His forgiveness, we then understand His salvation. Everything changes. How we see ourselves how we see Him, how we see others, how we understand the work He's doing in us, why we would trust Him to give up certain things in our lives that we want, that we're committed to. And yet Jesus says, I'm asking you to give that up. I'm asking you to trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I've got a vision for your life that's greater than you could imagine. Trust me. 
Step into the path of peace. Receive my forgiveness. Experience my salvation from the inside out. And so it's only as we submit to God's verdict of guilty that we immediately receive also this assurance of His forgiveness. That God has saved us from ourselves so that we can experience His peace, His wholeness through Jesus. Well, that's what Christmas announces if we have eyes to see it. That not only may we see a baby in a manger, but what God wants us to see is a sacrifice that he sent. We may see gifts offered from kings, but we must also see that God sent his gift to us, who is a king. God is breaking through to bring his peace to us. Well, we could talk a lot longer about this, but that's the simple truth. We need to let God help us experience his salvation as we step into his forgiveness, walking this path of peace. Well, when is it supposed to happen? This is the fifth thing. Through Christmas, the Holy Spirit announces to us that the time of peace is now. Here's where we back up to all that first stuff that Zechariah said. Right as he opened up in praise, inspired by the Holy Spirit, praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Raise up the horn of salvation from the house of David. And he talks about the prophets, the salvation from enemies in the hands of all who hate us, showing mercy to ancestors and remembering the covenant and all this beautiful stuff being rescued and then being enabled to serve him without fear and holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. This is a picture that he's painting. But the short answer to that is Zechariah is announcing that the time of God's peace is now. It's come. Because, you see, everything Zechariah speaks about here, all the things he's talking about, they sit within a larger expectation of many of of the faithful Jewish people of his time. You may know that hundreds of years before, the Jewish people had been defeated by foreign enemies and then deported, particularly to Babylon. And they lived in Babylon under foreign rule for 70 years before they had the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. And over time to rebuild their city, to rebuild their temple. And while that might have sounded at first bite like the exile was now over, what happened as time wore on is they started to realize that things never were really great again. The Holy Spirit never returned to the rebuilt temple. The nation of Israel was never able to stand on its own two feet again. Though they were back in their land, they continued to be ruled by foreign powers. And those who hold, held power over them sort of changed. They were sort of tasked from power to power to power. And eventually, of course, were under Rome. And so there rose a sense within many faithful Jews of that time that the exile never really did come to an end. It never really was over. And, and so through prophets and through others, they began to talk about this vision of peace of a time coming when the exile would actually be over, where there would be forgiveness for the people, where the enemies would finally be defeated, where where God would return to them and, and and the hearts of people would return to God. That this exile that was still going on, both spiritually and nationally, personally and corporately, would finally come to an end. And there's lots of stuff in the prophets about that. Well, what Zechariah is telling us here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that that exile is over. When he speaks of God returning to his people and redeeming them and raising up the horn of salvation, all the stuff he talks about, it's all about exile ending. 
And why is this important? Because Zechariah sees something by the Holy Spirit that others couldn't even see yet. You realize these were just, this was an infant baby, eight days old. Uh, Jesus was still uh, growing inside of Mary at the same time. So when he speaks of this, he's speaking of something the Holy Spirit is helping him see that the coming of John meant the time is now. And all the hopes and all the expectations, all the long years of waiting were finally over because the one that God had promised would come to prepare the way for the one that God had promised was come was finally here. The time is now. This is huge. And the truth is the time has always been now since then. That God's plan for peace is always now. That His action for us in Christ is always present. It is for us, each one. It is for all, each one. That He wants us to come to Him. He wants to actually come into us, to make His home in us, to make His peace in us, and through us, to make His peace come in the world. That the exile is over. That new creation has come by the Holy Spirit. Has been birthed within us. And is now, as we receive His forgiveness, as we walk this path of peace, He's bringing His peace to the world because the exile is over. The Prince of Peace has come and He is on His throne. Well, there it is. The what, the who, the why, the how, and the when of this path of peace that the Holy Spirit brings to us at Christmas. Now, for some of you today, this is kind of review because in some ways it's kind of like the basic Christian story. For some of us, this might be new information. You might have heard a phrase today. There might have been something in something I said or something just that the Holy Spirit brought to your mind that was new to you that you need to follow up on. I don't know what it is. But I do know this. The Holy Spirit has prepared a path for peace for each one of us. And the invitation the Holy Spirit gives to each one of us is to simply step out in faith and to follow this path of peace. Maybe for you it's the trust in the motivation of the Father. And you need to drill down on the fondness of God for you. And last week's message would be a great place to go for that. Maybe for you it's realizing that I've lost touch with what the goal is. Like what God actually wants to do in my life and in my relationships. I've become kind of blinkered and blinded by the things right in front of me. And the Holy Spirit's asking me to raise my vision to see His goal for me, for us, for His world. Maybe it is that you've been putting it off. You've been saying, the time is later. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit is saying, actually, now that Jesus has come, there is no later. The time is now. I want you to experience the wholeness of my Father now. Best day to plant a tree is when? Today, right? And the sense of like God saying, I long to bring healing and wholeness to your life. And we can do it next week, but I'd rather do it now because I want to get started. I want to get started. I want you to experience my goodness. And the Father is saying, now is the time. For others of us, it could be We've never really experienced God's salvation. We've never really known personally that God wants to be in us, to restore us. And so the invitation for you today is to, is to simply accept the forgiveness that God is offering. To acknowledge that <laughs> there's nothing you can do to fix your life. Oh, you can make it marginally better. There are good decisions you can make. But to experience the wholeness God wants you to experience, friends, we will always botch it up. But with God in us, oh, we'll still make mistakes. But forgiveness is part of our lives now. 
We can get up and keep going and experience all that God has. And he wants you to experience that this Christmas. The Holy Spirit of Christmas is calling, inviting us. Come to the manger, which will lead us to the cross, which will lead us through to an empty tomb and on into this path of peace that God has for us. Will you stand and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you are present here now. That this invitation to be part of your life, to have your life flowing in us, to experience the wholeness and the peace that was hard won by Jesus, is being offered freely to us as a gift. We revel in that. We thank you for that. For each one of us, man, woman, and child. For our extended family and friends. For the people of our valley. Our hometowns. Lord Jesus, we ask that here at Christmas, even over these next three days, we would catch a vision for what you want to do in us and in the world around us. And that compelling vision would transform our hearts and minds as we trust in you and follow your path of peace. We pray, Lord Jesus, that those of us who may be wrestling with, is the time now? Can I trust you? Is this a sin? Is this something I should give up to follow you? What's going on? I pray, Lord Jesus, for clarity and for courage. For us as a church, would you give us insight? Would you give us courage, bravery, excitement? to invite others to experience your peace as we are? Would you anoint us by your Holy Spirit to continue to be your witnesses right here at Christmas? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for this path of peace you've accomplished for us. Would you send us now by your Holy Spirit to live that out? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, God's grace be with you and a Merry Christmas to all of you and I hope to see a lot of you out on Christmas Eve. PCSS, 6 p.m. It's going to be a ton of fun. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.